We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Matthew 21. To catch you up, what we've been doing, we're now entering into the final week of Jesus' time here on earth. Feels like it went super fast for us, doesn't it? Because we just got a broad overview. But if you think about it, the story didn't begin with Jesus. And so really, like, since January, which is not that long ago, we've covered all the way from Genesis 1. So in light of that, like, yes, it's blazing fast. We're just getting a snapshot, right? We're getting the trailer for the movie, in a sense. And so you got to go watch the movie, like be in the word, be reading it, find out more about what Jesus has been up to, what he's been doing as he lived for 33 years on this earth. So he's been healing people, the sick. He's been feeding people who are hungry. He's been teaching people. He's been getting into debates and arguments with the religious leaders. He's been reaching out to and caring for the least and the lost and the lonely, the people that nobody else would hang out with. And he's been kind of stirring things up for people. And so this, what we're moving into right now, Matthew 21, and this story is told in all four accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is moving into Jerusalem, and he knows this is the fulfillment of his mission. He knows he's going into the last days of his time here on this earth. He knows what he's moving toward, toward the cross. He knows that he's about to reach the hardest moments of his life. But we're not quite there yet. He knows all this as he comes into Jerusalem and there's like a parade thrown for him. Because now people are starting to catch wind of who this Jesus is. So read with me Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. When they, and that's Jesus and his followers, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. That's a baby donkey, for those who don't know. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Don't any of you try to steal my car after this and say, the Lord says I need it, okay? Verse four, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal. Then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we look at your word this morning, Lord, that you would be speaking to us, that we would not be reading a textbook. 
to learn how to have a better life, but that we would be hearing you addressing us, your spirit at work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. May we be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So crowds love celebrities, right? Crowds love celebrities. But I think crowds love their idea of the celebrity more than they love the person himself. About a little over 17 years ago, which is really weird to say, my wife and I were on our honeymoon in California in Lake Arrowhead. It was beautiful. But we decided one of those days, hey, let's go to Magic Mountain. Break up the monotony of beautiful mountains and lakes and sunsets and go on some roller coasters, right? Plus, it was a school day, so we're like, it's going to be great. There's going to be, like, almost no one there, no families there. We'll just be able to, like, skip through lines and get right on rides. So we show up, and it turns out an entire middle school district was having a field trip for the end of the year. So it was packed with middle school kids. And I love middle school kids. I have some of my own. But that's not what we were looking for that day. It's all right, though. It wasn't that big of a deal for us. It affected somebody else who was at the park a little greater than it affected us. We literally walked as close as I am to Will right now by Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq, all like nine feet of him, 400 some odd pounds of muscle. This was 17 years ago too, so he was in shape, right? And he's pushing a stroller and he's got some other family members around him. And there's kids literally running circles around him, dancing around him even, and they're, it's like a little parade, right? A procession is following after them, and they're shouting, and they're like, Shaq, oh my goodness, it's Shaq. Shaq, sign my shoe. Shaq, give me a piggyback ride. Like, all this stuff. They're going nuts, and Shaq looked miserable, you guys. He thought, it's a school day. I'll just come enjoy the park with my family, you know? Poor guy. What's crazy about this is literally five minutes before that, we had just gotten off a ride, where Matt Perry, the guy who played Chandler from Friends, was standing in line right behind us. Now, he had a hat on, shades, and some scruff. He hadn't shaved in a while. So he was blending in in a way that Shaq could not blend in, right? But we recognized who he was, and so he saw that. We kept looking back at him. We're like, that's Matt Perry. That's Chandler Bing, you know? And so when I got off the ride and he was in line to get on next, he was like, hey, how was the ride? And I didn't think I would be a person who gets starstruck, but I couldn't find words. So like a dork, I just went and gave him a thumbs up. Five minutes later, we saw Shaq, right? And Shaq had this huge parade going on around him because people love the celebrity. But poor Shaq, they weren't really loving him in the moment, were they? See, Jesus has moved into this season now where he has not just been this person living in obscurity, growing up in a poor town, becoming a homeless man, saying really weird things to a few people who might want to follow him, right? Then he, he transitioned into doing some healing, some miracles, feeding thousands of people out of almost nothing, where now a few people are starting to know this name of Jesus, right? And he might get recognized where he goes, and there's some little crowds forming, now, Jesus has transitioned to full-on celebrity status. Like, he is not holding it in anymore. He's letting the world know who he is and why he came. See, what had just happened right before this is Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus was sick. Word got to him. They said, hey, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, 
told us to come and get you, Jesus, because their brother is sick and he is dying. But they know that you can do something if you come quickly. And so Jesus waits for a couple days. Then he makes his trip. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus had been dead long enough to know he was actually dead. Like not just really sick, not sleeping, he was gone. And Jesus gets there and he, he sees the darkness of sin and death. He sees the sadness. He sees the brokenness that it was causing that family and that community. And he enters into their sorrow and he weeps. The humanity of Jesus pouring out. And then the full power of God pours out from him. As with a word, he tells Lazarus to get up and he gets up out of death and life fills his lungs again. They have a party. They have a great big feast to celebrate because this is incredible, right? And word starts traveling fast. Well, it gets around to all the people who want to sing and dance around him too. And it also gets around to the people who are angry about this, want to kill him. The religious leaders are getting angry and scared that their power is going to be taken by this weird guy who came from Nazareth. Right? So they devise a plan, not only to kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus again. Like, how wicked is that? This man who had already died and seen death, God raises him back to life, and they go, no, we'll put a stop to this. And they want to put him to death again. So they could say, see, Jesus didn't really raise him back to life. They want to discredit him. So everyone knows about Jesus. He's coming in to the city, into Jerusalem, and they're throwing a parade. This is what would have happened for a king who was riding into a city after a victory. He would ride in on a stallion, and they would have palm branches waving around because palm branches were a signal in that time of victory. So if this king had just led their army to victory in battle, he'd be coming into the city welcomed in like this. They would be shouting praises to him, waving palm branches, laying them down in front as he rides through. And they're doing this for Jesus because they want Jesus to be the king that they want him to be. You remember when we talked about when Jesus fed the thousands of people, there was actually a point around then when the crowds, it says the crowds wanted to take him and make him their king by force. So he slipped away. And interestingly, right now, as Jesus is doing this, he actually allows it. He's like, yeah, this is time. It's time to show who the king is. But at the same time, Jesus doesn't just give full sail into what they're desiring. He goes, but I'm going to show you it's actually a little different than you expected. Jesus doesn't ride in on a stallion. He rides in on a donkey. And we're going to talk a lot about the donkey today, actually. But before we do, I, I want to just focus on this word that they're shouting. They're shouting, Hosanna. Have you guys ever heard that? Maybe if you've grown up around the church, you've heard that. Uh, we're actually going to sing a song with that title before we leave here this morning. But what does it mean, right? It's, it's, that's not an English word. We don't get the translation in that reading. It actually is a word that means, please save us. It comes from two words, 
Yasha, which is salvation, deliver, save, and Anna, which is please I beg you. It comes from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. They're actually reciting this. They know their Bible well. They're reciting something from the Psalms. And it's a cry saying, God, would you please come save us? Send the son of David, because they were given this prophecy that there would be a better king coming after David from the lineage of David. A better king who would rescue them, who would usher in a kingdom of peace. And they're saying, be that guy for us, Jesus. So it's not really words of praise. They're saying, we're throwing you the processional for a victorious king because we need you to be that victorious king. Come in and do battle against Rome and rescue us. Be victorious against our enemy to bring in the kingdom of Israel once again. And just like the crowds who followed Jesus that second day after he fed them with just a little meal, who weren't following him because of the signs, Jesus said, but because they were hungry again and they needed more food. This crowd following Jesus, not because he just raised someone from the grave, because he showed the power of God with his word. It wasn't because they needed that. It's because they said, if he could do that, then he can go defeat Rome for us. They're trying to get their tangible, physical needs met, just like that other crowd. And we got to stop for a second and ask ourselves a question, like, what is it that we're following Jesus for? Why do we gather around Jesus? Could it possibly be that we're, we love the idea of a savior more than we love the person of Jesus himself? Are we following after him so that he could make our lives a little more comfortable? So that he could take care of this problem that we're facing in life right now? When things don't go the way that we expected, God to show up in our lives, we may not, like this crowd who a week later is no longer shouting, save us, please, Hosanna, instead is shouting, crucify him. We may not do that literally and vocally, but don't we sometimes say, okay, this isn't working, God, I got this. I'm gonna find another solution. I'm gonna self-medicate to deal with my hurts since you aren't taking care of them. Don't we practically do that even if we don't cognitively think it? And in a sense, we're doing the same thing. We're saying, oh, okay, you're not the savior that I thought you were going to be for me. Give me someone else. Give me Barabbas. That's the context of what's happening here. And Jesus, at the same time of welcoming their cry and their plea for a king and saying, yes, I'll be that king for you, at the same time is very subtly and artfully showing them it's going to be different than you think, though. It's going to look a lot different. So let's talk about the donkey in the room, right? Jesus rides in on a donkey. I need some more water. I got something in my throat. Sorry about that. Jesus rides in on a donkey and not on a horse. A horse would have been the symbol of wartime. You ride in on a horse to say, we're doing battle. 
Jesus rides in on a donkey because donkeys were a symbol of peace. There's actually another king who had a parade through a city on a donkey before. <coughs> Excuse me. It's in 1 Kings 1. And it is the son of David. It's Solomon. David is dying, and they're having an argument over who's going to be king in his place. And one of his generals is trying to take the kingdom by force. And David gives the kingdom to Solomon like it's rightfully supposed to go. His son. And they have a parade, and he rides out on a donkey. Because it wasn't wartime. They weren't doing battle against another city. They weren't fighting another army. This is a peaceful time of celebration. They're crying for war. And Jesus says, no, this is a time of peace. They were actually given prophecy in Zechariah 9 that Jesus would ride in on a donkey. But they would have seen that as, yeah, because he's bringing peace to us. But he's got to do some violence against our enemies. But he doesn't say that. He's riding in peacefully to where the enemy is. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who who comes and offers salvation to all, even our enemies. Jesus rides in peacefully. But not only that, he doesn't just say, hey, get the donkey for me. He says, get the donkey's little colt, one that's never been ridden before. Get the baby donkey. Could you imagine, like, trying to, maneuver through a huge, massive crowd of people on a little baby donkey that's never been ridden before. It's unbroken. It doesn't know what it's doing. Like, I can imagine that thing just like bucking and kicking all over the place. But Jesus, because he's the creator of all things, because he's the king over all of his creatures, is able to do it. The same guy who calmed the winds and the waves in the sea. The same guy who raised Lazarus from the grave. He has control over all of creation. And he, he rides, he sits on this donkey that's never been ridden, and he rides it through on the baby donkey. Like, how humble can you get? How much more lowly and meek can you get? And that was one of our beatitudes, wasn't it? That Jesus says, blessed are the meek, the lowly and the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus is about to inherit his kingdom. But he doesn't do it through a show of power and of force and of might. He does it in the most humble way possible. Rides in on a donkey to show peace. He rides in on the baby of a donkey to show his humility. But not only that, there's a third thing that this donkey shows us. That if we actually, I I think, are looking at this story honestly we'd see that this donkey most clearly and accurately depicts you and me. You're a donkey. What do I mean by that? One thing we need to know about donkeys is they were unclean animals. And when you had an unclean animal, you had to do something in order to make that animal clean. So in Exodus 13, we find that God's giving uh, an order to his people, to Israel, saying, hey, every firstborn belongs to me. Here's what I want you to do. Every firstborn male of your family, of a human, 
should have been a priest who served in the temple. But what they did is they allowed, he allowed for the whole clan of the Levites, the tribe of Levi, to take that place instead of every single Israelite firstborn male. So now this whole family of the Levites, they could go in and they could serve as priests for the whole nation of Israel. And even then, God gave away, like, but you could actually, you could purchase and redeem back your son from the temple. There's a way to do that too. But for animals, God also wanted the firstborn of every animal. And so what they would do is there were ways to present these animals as an offering to the Lord. And the blood would be sprinkled on the altar. The fat would be burned. And they would see that as an aroma going up, the smell as an offering to the Lord. And then the meat would be fed to those priests who were serving in the temple. That was for your, your cows, your sheep, your goats. But there was another animal that Israelites would have had. They had cows, they had sheep, they had goats, and they had donkeys. Because donkeys were a lot more affordable than horses. And donkeys could carry a lot of weight on them. Donkeys were extremely useful, but donkeys were unclean animals. So what do you do? Your firstborn donkey belongs to the Lord, but it's an unclean animal. God doesn't want it. So you had two choices. You can either break the donkey's neck, just get rid of it, or you can actually, and this is found in Exodus 13, verse 13, you can sacrifice a lamb in the place of the donkey. Catch that? The same way in Exodus during the Passover that God told them to sacrifice a lamb and spread the blood over the doorpost so that death would pass over their family so that in place of the Israelites dying, the lamb would die. The same was true for the donkey. And Jesus is writing, and I believe, saying, I'm coming with peace. I'm coming with humility to raise up the low and humbled, to exalt them with me into my kingdom. And I'm coming offering a sacrifice, a substitution, a rescue in place of yourselves. You're shouting, Hosanna, please save us now. And Jesus is responding, I will. But not just you, also the ones who are about to crucify me. Also the Roman officials who you want me to destroy. I will bring a sacrifice for them as well, for the clean and the unclean. So that instead of our necks being broken, the death that we owe because of our sin, because we have rebelled against God in his ways, and we said, no, we could do this in our own way. You're not the celebrity I wanted you to be, right? You're not the king I wanted you to be. Let me go do it myself. We've become unclean with that, and we deserve death, broken necks. And Jesus becomes the lamb who stands in our place. He becomes a sacrifice given for us. And listen, not only is that donkey who was the firstborn, because you got two donkeys there, you got the mom and the baby. Hasn't even had a chance probably yet because it hasn't been broken yet. It hasn't had anything laid on its back yet. Probably hasn't had a chance to be redeemed yet. Jesus becomes the one who redeems that donkey by riding in on it. Not only that, this donkey gets this high position of privilege by carrying the savior of the whole world into the city of Jerusalem. 
the whole rest of the, the people there, the crowds, they're shouting for Jesus to be the thing they want him to be. And the donkey is just carrying the thing that they need. The donkey is being the most honoring creature there. Honoring the Savior, honoring the King for who he is. And listen, what Jesus does is he takes us from our humble, lowly place. He takes us from our unclean state. And he exalts us with him. And he brings salvation and rescue through his death, through his sacrifice. So that as he rises from the grave victoriously over death, just like he raised Lazarus out with a word from death, he, he comes out of death himself, the spirit of God filling his lungs once again. Seven days later, coming out of that tomb, but we get to follow with him into his glory into his righteousness, into his kingdom. And so listen, Missio, this, this is the thing that I want us to catch. He exalts us, lowly donkeys, to a high place with him, but he also calls us, like the donkey, to be carriers of his salvation, to be ones who carry Christ with us into the city we live in. That's our goal. That's our job. That's our mission he's given to us, that we would actually carry Christ with us everywhere we go so that people in our city would see the king that maybe they don't think they want, but they need riding in with us. And that's why we are so often calling each other to live this life outside of just Sundays. I mean, let's just be real for one second. Like, look around. Like, the masses are not gathering in here, right? But God could take a lowly, humble people, a small group of people, and he wants us to carry him out into the city so that people would see the king that they truly need, that they would find the rescue that they truly need, and that the kingdom would be established. It's not our work that does it, but doesn't he allow us to be a part of it? That is such good news. By his power, by his spirit, by his grace, by his work, we get to carry Christ with us. Pray with me.